The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 13. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we will discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in Star Trek, from the original series to Discovery and beyond. Today, we're discussing, well, our return of Secrets of Star Trek, which has been uh, on hiatus for a bit, uh, as well as what it's like being Star Trek fans, how we became Star Trek fans, and that sort of thing. And joining me today on the panel are... Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Good, good. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So, uh, again, I, I mentioned in the opening that uh, it's the return of Secrets of Star Trek. It's a something, the podcast that uh, that SQPN has uh, did a few years ago, we released, and we have uh, 12 episodes that we've already released in the past, and we're uh, restarting this. We're taking a new, a little new tack, there's a, some new voices. Um, and uh, so what I, what I wanted to first bring up is this why we're doing a Secrets of Star Trek. Um, and from my point- Because there's Star Trek? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and a lot of it? There's a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Right. And Star Trek is just, it's 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 been around. It's it's one of the most popular of all the, the science fiction franchises out there. It's been, uh, you know- as it's one a, of the big three, together with Star Wars and Doctor Who. Exactly. And the only mm-hmm. one that's older and probably has more episodes to discuss is Doctor Who. I mean, uh, Doctor Who's 1963, yep. Star Trek 1965, I think. I should have looked that up. Doctor Who has more episodes, but fewer stories, yes. I think. Because uh, if you look at all the different Star Trek series, they're gonna add, it's going to add up to more stories. Right. And the, it's a... It's, um, so what? So first, let's say what what we expect uh, from from Secrets of Star Trek. What you can expect from it, and um, and then we can get into what you know what we're going to talk about. But um, what we our intention is is to is to talk about um, well first as the new Star Trek series come on, whether it's Star Trek Discovery or others that are in production, your pre production or in development. That they're working on. Or movies or whatever. Yep. We will discuss those as they come out. Um, uh, But In fact, at Comic-Con, it was announced that the new series of Discovery is going to be debuting in January. But leading up to that, they're going to be releasing a short film at a rate of one a month. Right. Uh, for like the four months before that. So we'll be talking about those short films. Yes, exactly. They call them uh, short treks, if you (laughs) get the pun. (laughs) <laughs> and those are really? ten, yeah. <laughs> 10 to 15 minute uh, mini episodes, essentially, uh, featuring some of the characters from the uh, from the Star Trek Discovery, who and I think it's an ongoing story. It's four parts of one story, I think is what they said. Um, mm-hmm. So and then when there isn't new Star Trek to discuss, we'll be talking about classic Star Trek uh, series, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's the original series, the animated series, next gen Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise. Uh, or we'll, the movies. We'll talk about the movies. Um, maybe we'll sometimes we might talk about the books. Uh, I've read many of the books. Uh, loved many. Did not like some. Uh, but there's also comic books and records. Comic books. Yeah. Yes, there are Star Trek re- records. Um, it's it's a lot like Doctor Who. Where there's a lot of ancillary material. Uh, so um, there's lots to talk about. Uh, but first, I wanted to kind of talk about like how how and when we became fans. Um, and I, I, I'll I'll let you guys go first, um, Father Corey. Wh- what is when did you start watching Star Trek, and how did you become a fan of Star Trek? See, I, I'm I'm younger probably than either of you, but <laughs> I'm not exactly young in Star Trek. Uh, I probably really became aware of Star Trek, became really become fan of it with. About the time the second, third movies came out, Wrath of Khan, you know. Yeah, you um, are young. (laughs) I am young. I am young, you know. Um, 
and probably closer to when the third movie came out, I think is probably when I became most aware about it, of it. And of course, shortly after that is, you know, within what, I think five years or so is when next gen started. Even and of course, that's what really sparked yeah. it. I can't remember. I can't yeah, remember. It was exactly like two years actually it, after the Star Trek three. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was okay. I, I thought it was fairly close. I couldn't remember exactly. Yeah. You know, so that, that was kind of where it really sparked. And of course, so watching the movies, um, watching next gen as it came out, we didn't have next gen on syndication where I was living at the time. And it actually wasn't until DS nine that we started getting st- uh, the series in syndication. Right. And so that was when I could, and that was when I could finally start watching it on a regular basis. But it, like I said, it was really, uh, the movies uh, really never went back and watched the 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 original series. Actually, it was kind of funny. I remember I was a little kid. I was I was maybe you know six seven years old, and we were at someone's house visiting uh, family friends, and and their their daughter had, about my age put on a said, "Oh, I like watching this. Do you like?" It? It's like no. <laughs> never seen it, but I didn't like it. You know, that typical, you know, six, seven year old mindset of I've never seen it. I don't like it. Uh, and of course, now I look back, it's like, well, that was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny how the, the our, our experiences are like my experience with Doctor Who is like your experience with uh, with Star Trek is I mean, with Star Wars. Uh, no, sorry. Star Trek. Doctor I'm going I'm, I'm to mess this up. My experience with Doctor Who is like your experience with Star Trek, which is okay. uh, you came in later than the original series. Correct. And so, go, you know, it's you're going you you went back to experience that. And that's like me. I'm a new who 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 only recently discovered classic who that sort of thing. So that's a, yeah. that's interesting. Uh, Jimmy, how, how about you? Uh, your what's your Star Trek story? Well, I'm old enough that. I'm young enough that I don't remember a time when there was no Star Trek. So that's how young I am. I don't remember (laughs) before the series. I am actually old enough that I'm older than the series. It first came on when I was a baby. Yeah. Um, So I was born in the mid 1960s and Star Trek debuted in 1966. And I have no memories. I may well have seen it. Um, at, during its original run, but I have no memory of that. What I do remember is in the is the first wave of syndication. So it went off the air in 1969, and by 1970 71, it was starting to um, uh, really gain popularity in syndication. Its ratings had not been huge when it was on the air and everybody agrees when it really became a huge cultural phenomenon was in syndication. So it was airing on local TV stations, um, you know, in the afternoon or at dinner time and kids were getting home from school and watching it. Families were watching it over dinner. And that's when I remember really encountering it. I remember in fact, it being like, winter and in Arkansas and there was in the college town where I lived, there was an indoor heated swimming pool that my parents would take us to. And it was so great having an indoor heated swimming pool in the wintertime to go to. (laughs) But I wanted to get home to watch Star Trek on syndication. And (laughs) even if I could only watch part of it, I wanted to watch that part. Mm -hmm. And I remember this was pre-VCR and pre-home recording. So um, if you missed it, you didn't get a chance to see it again for ages. And I remember recording uh, episodes on audio tape so I could re-listen to them again. And uh, so that's when I first came into fandom. And I know and and so that had to be like 1970, 71. And I know it had to be that early because the animated series came on in 1973. And I remember being so excited as a kid that the animated series was going to be coming on. I remember the build up to it. Mm. I even remember the night before they premiered the new Saturday morning lineup. They had a primetime special with William, uh, with uh, Leonard Nimoy um, playing a character, not Spock. He was playing like a television executive named Mr. Wister, 
who was interacting with um, some children led by a young girl and her who was playing a TV executive and her assistants, who were all boys, and their initials were N.I. was the first boy, uh, T.W. was the second boy, and I.T., which was the third boy. And she uh, disparaged them. You put them together, and it spells nitwit. And <laughs> they introduced Leonard Nimoy as Mr. Wister, and everyone was very concerned about how is his sister. She has a blister. I'm sorry. I missed her. And I remember all that, even though it was pre-VCR, that's how excited I was to see the debut of Star Trek, the animated series. <laughs> Jimmy, you may win as uh, as most dedicated, longest running Star Trek fan in this group. <laughs> so uh, I do not predate uh, Star Trek. I was born during the original run of the original series. Um, my Earliest memories, though, are of watching Star Trek in syndication with my dad. Uh, and the significance of that is, is my dad, uh, who grew up in the West End of Boston, uh, at the, along with Leonard Nimoy. Uh, he grew up in the West End of Boston, a couple streets over from my dad. And they weren't friends, but they knew each other. So oh. that was one of the reasons why my dad wanted to watch the show. Uh, and so as a as a child, this is pre night, I'd say pre 1977. So I was a. Uh, before Star Wars, this was my entry into science fiction. Um, you know, no Doctor Who, no Star Wars. Nothing. It was it was Star Trek, and I used to love it. It was it was my dad worked a lot. He works like six days a week. So when I could sit down and watch the show with my dad, it was my my also my bonding with my dad, my my time with my dad, and so. It carries deep resonance for me, and it, and it had a, a formative effect on me. And um, Star Wars came along in '77, and that blew my mind. And suddenly, uh, I was deeply into anything having to do with science fiction, and uh, my love of Star Trek was was a part of that. And uh, I've I've been a Star Trek fan ever since. I've uh, you know I, uh, the when the movies you know when each one came out, I would go the first day and see them um when next generation came it was like oh my gosh there's a new star trek tv series like it was huge um and uh and and then i would uh, read all of the the pocket uh pocket books the publisher the all of their novels there's a store here in the boston area called the new england mobile book fair which is not it's not it's not mobile it's actually in a warehouse um and <clears throat> You have to imagine this is much pre-Amazon. Uh, you you could go there, and it's a warehouse, and they have all these thousands and thousands of titles, many more than any bookstore would carry. And every uh, uh, paperback book was, uh, I think they said twenty five percent off uh, the the cover price. And so my mom would take me there once a month, and I would st stock up mostly Star Trek books of. <laughs> Like, because they had so many of them, and I would just stock up big piles of them, and uh, you know, ten, twelve, thirteen for the month, and then mm. read them through. And then next month we'd come back for more Star Trek books, and I got so deeply uh, into Star Trek that way. And so Star Trek is always—I've always loved Star Trek. Um, when Voyager came out, I was living in—I uh, was going to the Uni Franciscan University of Steubenville in Ohio. Did not have cable. I had a little black and white TV, like a nine inch black and white TV uh, <laughs> that was ancient and weighed a ton um, and could only pick up like two local channels. And <clears throat> if you remember, Voyager uh, aired only on the new UPN, you know, United yeah. Paramount Network, which is only on cable, uh, at least in that area. And so I ended up um, finding the other huge Star Trek fan that I knew of who had cable uh, in 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 uh, at school. Um, my friend Bob Rice. And so we would get together every week and watch Star Trek Voyager together. I remember that. Uh, that was that was key. It, and that's another aspect is the fan experience, finding other fans. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I, 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 go ahead. I, I have a similar story about Enterprise because that also aired only on UPN. And at the time, I had the dinkiest cable in the world. It did not have UPN. And so the way I got to see the early Enterprise episodes before DVDs or before they were released on DVD 
was I was teaching Greek. I was teaching New Testament Greek to some high school students and their parents had UPN. And so the deal was I teach Greek, you tape enterprise for me. (laughs) (laughs) That is a good exchange. (laughs) So, um, the fan experience is is like finding other fans, connecting with other fans. Like now, again, today with the Internet, you can always find other fans. It's you connect mm-hmm. online. People from around the world can can connect. But there was a time when, you know, you might if if your close friends were not fans of the same things you were, then you, you it, it could be lonely. But one of the things I loved was uh, the convention experience and Star Trek conventions. Mm-hmm. We're among the first fan conventions, really. I mean, they, they kind of mm. created the genre. And well, there there were sci-fi book conventions before that, but then but they they were run on uh and they're still there, and they were run on a largely nonprofit basis. But yeah. then there was enough money in Star Trek that you could make a profit and they became very uh profitable and right. thus there were a lot more of them. Right. And uh, one of the big companies making them was like, do you guys remember Creation Con? Creation Con, yeah. yeah. And they would travel all kinds of cities. They'd bring the stars with them. Um, and I went to a number of those uh, back in the 80s um, and got to meet, uh, let's see, I got to meet Majel Barrett, Roddenberry, uh, Jimmy Dewin, um, Nichelle Nichols, who was, she was really nice. Uh, Marina Sirtis, who complimented me on my Spuds McKenzie t-shirt uh, at the time. Hey. <laughs> and who I said to as a, I'd say 17 year old boy, I said to her, you're the most beautiful woman I've ever met. I, I even today, wow. I blush to think that I said that to her. <laughs> I, can, I don't know what came over me. And she was gracious <laughs> and kind, of course, to this nerdy kid. Um, I'm sure she was very flattered. Too. Uh, yes, because no one had ever told her she was beautiful before. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> That's one of the things that never gets old. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. Probably. <laughs> Especially from nerdy, uh, uh, drooling 17 year olds. You're pretty. Uh, and... Uh, so, but going to the cons and buying books, one of my favorite things to do was to buy the technical manuals, the, the yeah. stuff that kind of entered into the universe. So, uh, when I joined, I joined the science fiction book club years ago, and you could get like uh, what was it ten books for a penny to to get start getting them. And one of those books was, and then they jacked up the price. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then you had to buy you know ten more books for twenty five dollars each. Uh, but the, the, uh, in the books for a penny, I got the, the original Star Trek tentacle manual by, um, hmm. oh, what is his name now? I used to remember, off the top of my head, I used to remember it, but it, it, it eventually I found out it's a collector's item. It's like worth like hundreds of dollars now. Um, if it were in pristine condition. Cool. I have two of them. <laughs> well, if it were in pristine condition, which mine is not, uh, and just, I used to pour <laughs> over that and look at the, the, the layout of the enterprise and be very nerdy and geeky. So. All that to say, we're some really deep Star Trek fans, and we love the show mm-hmm. for various reasons. Um, I would say I would it, it, it enter into, um, but Franz um, Joseph, Franz Joseph, thank you. Yes, I knew it was uh, some some German uh, name. <laughs> there you go. Of course, Jimmy has it, and he's probably got it in pristine condition. No, no, I read mine. I was a kid in the seventies. Exactly. I would. I went over mine. I used to imagine uh, my character walking through these corridors and going to the different rooms and create stories uh, in Star Trek because you know that's just what you can yeah. do. What you do as a kid, yeah. So, by the way, I yeah. I met Gene Roddenberry. We were talking about meeting people, and yeah. the only person I've really met was Gene Roddenberry himself. Wow. Um, there was a period in the 1970s after the original series and before the movies where he basically made a living where a lot of his <clears throat> income was based on going around to colleges and giving talks and yeah. and he would get an honorarium for speaking. And that's how that's how he made ends meet during that period, because uh, right. he, he didn't have a lot of success on television after Star Trek. And although he tried and I remember he came, I lived in a college town and he came to my town to give a talk at the college. And I went and saw the talk and um, and I remember two things about it. Well, I remember a few. I mean, he. I remember a few things. He played like the Star Trek blooper reel that was famous at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's ever been released. I think it's on uh, YouTube. Maybe, it may be on YouTube yeah. for all I know. But 
um, at the time, that was the only way you could see it. Uh, and he played that and he gave a talk. And I remember he misused the term light year in his talk. He <laughs> talked about something being light years ahead, not meaning in space, but in like technological time. advancement, yeah. you know, implying yeah. a temporal usage of it. And I remember during the Q&A period, I corrected his use of the word light year. <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, who, who, who this guy of all people should know the correct use of the term light year. And uh, he was gracious about that. Also, um, could, I could you had, call George, George Lucas and correct his use of parsec, please? Uh, it, yeah, I'll, I'll text him after we get done recording. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I, I commented on in the question period was, um, you know, the Stardate system, because this was one of the most mysterious things at the time. It didn't seem to correspond to it didn't even seem to progress linearly if you watch mm. the episode. Right. And there was a, a, an explanation, which was stupid. But there was an explanation that Roddenberry had offered that what star date it was depended on a huge number of factors, like where you were in the galaxy and what speed you were traveling and things like that. Um, and that makes no sense. That's no way to run a, a chronological system. You need a universal frame of reference. Right. But um, I was a kid and I had thought about it and I said, wait a minute. OK, star date. That implies star days. A day is a rotational period, like a day on Earth is one rotation of the mm -hmm. Earth. So um, so our sun rotates about every 30 days and um, other stars have different rotation rates. And that would explain the uh, the why it's a different star date, if depending on what star you're around. Um, or, and so I had this rationale worked up based on Gene Roddenberry's nonsense explanation of how star dates work. And I mentioned in the Q and A period that I had such a system and he actually gave me his card Ugh. for Norway Enterprises, uh, his private company to, um, to, to mail, to send him a letter explaining my explanation of how star dates work. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't think I ever did mail him a letter, but I kept the card for years. I, I actually, <laughs> I actually got a Gene Roddenberry card, business card myself. Someone gave to me. Uh -huh. uh, it was, so it's secondhand. It wasn't firsthand, but their, their dad worked with Roddenberry and I met this person at a party and they said, do you want the card? Like they heard I was a Star, wow. Star Trek fan. Yeah, I got his card in my desk. Would you like it? Yeah. <laughs> a real card from Gene Roddenberry? Yeah. So, yes, we're, we are all we're all very nerdy. And uh, we are probably all the template for William Shatner's Saturday Night Live special um, a guest appearance where he told the fan to get a life. Uh, that was an awesome sketch. That was that well, was, that's yeah. totally awesome. That's the thing is, if you're a real fan, you love that <laughs> that response, that, that sketch. That 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 in Galaxy Quest. Yeah, you can watch Galaxy yeah. Quest and go, "Oh dear lord, that's me." The the kid with the you know the the, the schematics on his computer and everything. Oh and yeah, doing the calling back and forth. If you that was like, me, I would so it, do that. It, it's all real. It's all <laughs> real. <laughs> I knew it. I mean, that's, that would have been me if they had called me and said, hey, where you? how do I operate this control panel? I would have pulled out my tactical manual and started telling them. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's bad. I, I joke sometimes, of, you know, as a priest, I'm supposed to know all this theology and spirituality. I can more easily explain how a warp drive works as I can <laughs> some of it. I have notebooks somewhere where I figured out the actual uh, miles per hour of the various warp speeds and distances oh, by calculating out the light years and uh, doing it all by hand, of course, because, you know, pre-computer. Um, so it was math anyway. So not, <laughs> not completely lost. Um, I did. I did the same thing. And my dad was an engineering professor. And so he had these like drafting tools where you could estimate curves. Yeah. And um, the original series, at least based on the technical manual, the warp factors were cubes of the speed of light. Right. So warp one is one times the speed of light cubed. Warp two is two times the speed of light cubed or eight times the speed of light and so forth. Mm -hmm. And they had a, a graph in the technical manual showing some of this. And I believe they gave the formula 
but they didn't have all of it calculated. And so, um, so I remember sitting down with my dad and his graphing equipment and estimating this curve based on the data points we had. Mm. And I remember him trying to explain to me that there's just a simple formula for this, but I hadn't yet learned that math in school. So. Right, right. The right. algebra of that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so when we talk about Star Trek, there's one of the things that <clears throat> fans always discuss is there's two questions. <clears throat> Excuse me. What's your favorite series? Who's your favorite captain? Um, so let's 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 answer those questions now for the for the listener. Um, Father Corey, I let you go first. What's your favorite series? Who's your favorite captain? And and why? You know, okay, um, I'm going to definitely say my favorite series is DS Nine. Yeah, I, I honestly, you know, if anything, because you know I've gone back and watched most of the original series on on Netflix or something like that. I've watched all of. TNG and Voyager and DS9 and Enterprise and all these, you know, done binge watches of them. And DS9 is the one I think that holds up the best. Yeah. In rewatches. I think the story behind the stories that they tell are more cohesive. It's just I, I really think it was probably the better um series as a whole. It, it has its issues, as they all do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, ironically, when it first came out, you know, my thought was, oh, great. You know, instead of journeying around the galaxy, they're stuck on a space station. Yeah. But that, I think that actually made it a stronger series. Right. Because they could explore more of the depths of the Bajoran world and, you know, the, the, the Dominion and, and the Cardassians and, and, and the characters themselves. It yeah. was much more character driven than some of the other stories. So that very much it. And I think that kind of influences my favorite captain because it's Captain Sisko. Yeah. Ben Sisko is very much my favorite. Um, if nothing else, I think he could be per- – the reason why he's my favorite is that that episode with Q where Q has challenged him to, you know, you know, to duel – to fight him. And right away, Ben Sisko punches him right in the nose. <laughs> you hit me. Picard never hit me. I'm not Picard. <laughs> that was great. That was a great moment. Uh, so, uh, Jimmy, do, do you have a – Favorite series is definitely Deep Space Nine. Um, It has a weak beginning in the first Mm -hmm. two or three seasons, but it then clearly becomes the best. You have more conflict between the characters. It gets into much more sophisticated areas psychologically and morally in terms of plot dynamics, morally. It's 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 by far the best series. There are individual episodes of other series that are extremely good. But Deep Space Nine as a whole is the best series. However, I don't have a favorite captain. Mm-hmm. Um, Cisco is okay to me as a captain, uh, but I don't I, I don't have any one captain that I uh, that I, I think is the best in my opinion. I like different things about different captains. I dislike different things about different captains. Okay. So uh, I guess I would say my favorite is Star Trek Discovery. My favorite captain is Chris Pine. No, I'm just kidding. Kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I like Discovery. I do like Discovery. Um, I should have uh, said Voyager and Janeway and really said Jimmy. (laughs) Actually, Janeway is fine for me as a captain. I think she – I like Janeway as a character. Um, But Voyager is the least favorite of the series for me. Yeah. Exactly. So I would say, I mean, I'm going to be boring and say Deep Space Nine. And for all those same reasons, um, the complexity of the stories, I mean, what was in the pale moonlight, I think was the, oh yeah, was maybe the, to me, might be one of the best episodes of Star Trek ever. Um, yeah. I loved that. Um, it did have a weak beginning, but it had, it, it, it built the, the world of Star Trek more than any of the others. There was the whole, the Klingon culture, the, the, the inter the the galactic politics of everything, the war, mm-hmm. the Dominion War, um, the Bajoran religion. I mean, there, no other mm-hmm. Star Trek had, and, and very little of other uh, science fiction, apart from say maybe Babylon Five, had religion as Battlestar prominent. Galactica reboot. Well, that's true, yeah. right? That also had uh, a lot of religion, um, but the Deep Space Nine, the the, the Bajoran religion, they took Kira's and faith they, seriously, even though. Yeah. Some people still talked about the wormhole aliens. They never, it ne- they never belittled her religion, and that yeah. was. Always good. They 
they treated it respectfully. There's a moment in the last season as things are building to the climax and Gull Dukat, this main series antagonist, has become a follower of the paw wraiths, which means, in effect, he's the Bajoran equivalent of a Satanist. Right. And yeah. he's talking with Kai Wynn, who's the Bajoran equivalent of the Pope. And when she realizes he's become a follower of the paw wraiths, it's like he's just told the Pope he's a Satanist. And she slaps him and calls him a heretic. And the audience is right there with her. Right. You know, the, after our experience of what the paw wraiths are and what it means to be a follower of them, you are on the side of this heretic slapping pope. Especially yeah. since she was a, a, a very unsympathetic character yeah. throughout she the run. She was unsympathetic. Yeah, she was very unsympathetic. But in that moment, the audience is just with her. Right. And that's yeah. one of the things I love about the show is their willingness to kind of upend things and Kai Wen, you're supposed to you're supposed to dislike Kai Wen, and boy, it was easy to dislike. Kai that, Wen. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. She was just from the start was just oh, terrible. Just, I mean, just oh, it's, 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 it's not like yuck. her. Uh, especially in, in contrast to Kai Opaka, her predecessor. Yeah. Um, which but it was a good change. But we'll talk about that when we get to that in Deep Space Nine. Uh, and we, in fact, we're going to talk about Deep Space Nine in uh, in an overview uh, coming up uh, in in a few episodes from now. But uh, but yeah, so uh, Deep Space Nine. Um, Cisco is my favorite. Part of that is Avery Brooks. I just, I'd watch Avery Brooks read the phone book. I just love Avery Brooks. I loved him when he was Hawk in uh, Spencer for Hire, which was a Boston set TV show. I know I'm kind of a homer, but I guess. But advantage. But but I loved the books by Robert B. Parker before that, and he just embodied the character from the book. I just love him as an actor. Um, now. Here my here's an interesting one. Do you have a favorite starship of all the ships? Um so for me, uh, I'll go on this one. I I did not like the Enterprise D from Next Generation when I saw it. It was too organic. It didn't feel like like a starship enough, you know, angles and vast. Um the original, you know, Enterprise was it's, it's classic and iconic. But for me, the my favorite is the uh, the last of the Picard era enterprises we saw, the Sovereign class. Uh, and I always felt that embodied the, the ultimate expression of of the Star Trek starship. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I, not everyone has a favorite Star Star Trek starship. That's a certain special corner of the nerddom. <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. do you guys have one? I, I again maybe showing my bias because my favorite series, but the Defiant, yeah, the, the DS9 mm. Defiant, that is just a butt kicking little shit. <laughs> exactly. <It's, laughs> I mean, there's just no way around it. But it, you know, but it looks like what a battleship of that class era should look like. You know, it's compact. The engine, you know, the nacelles are, you know, close yeah. to the body. They're not spread out like the traditional like Enterprise targets. looks. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Easy you know, to knock it off. Looked, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it, you know, it can. I, I I love the scenes where they would have it like it's literally skimming the skin of of another starship. You know, it's right on the hull of you right. know these big battle cruisers, and it's just bam, 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 bam all the way down the line. You know, it it is yeah. It, it's a it's a battleship in a in a Corvette package. You know what I mean? It's yeah. You know, we think of battleships should be big, but in this case, it's small. Um, I have to say though, back in the in the in the eighties, uh, I really liked the Excelsior's look. Uh, when yeah. we saw that in Star Trek three, um, yeah. the search for Spock, yep. uh, when and, and, Scotty disabled it with yeah. the, uh, and, and I want to, by the way, I also want to say, I, I do agree with the, the enterprise E the, the sovereign yes. class that yeah. again, it, you know, it looks more sleek. It looked more, uh, again, more ready to fight a little more aggressive, which yeah. I suppose is not really what Star Trek is supposed to be about. We can get into that in a, uh, a bit, but, um, uh, but, uh, you know, Star Trek is an explorer is not a military force, but, uh, anyway, as if. <laughs> yes, right. yeah. uh, it, it sort of evolved away from that in some ways. Uh, Jimmy did, but first Jimmy, did you have a favorite starship that you, 
to me, I like different things about different starships. I dislike different things about different models. To me, starships are are basically wheels. Okay. Um, you know, they're like cars. I don't have. I mean, I like different things about different cars, but I don't. I don't geek out on that aspect of things. So I'm not a car geek, and I'm not a yeah. starship geek. As long right. as it gets me where I want to go in the story, that's the important thing. And that's what's that's what's good about about having a, a diverse group of fans that can be different. See, yeah, see, I'm I'm the car geek, so yeah, yeah that, that that does translate <laughs> over to the starship geek. So, um, have you guys? Uh, so, I I mentioned before how I read a lot of the 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 uh, books, the novels. Mm-hmm. Um, have you guys been fans of any of the ancillary material, comic books, video games, anything like that? Back in the '70s, um, when there was a dearth of Star Trek material. Um, I collected the James Blish, uh, novelizations of the TV show and the Alan Dean Foster novelizations of the animated series. And I had a few other books. I remember reading the very first original story spinoff book, which was also by James Blish. It was a novelette called Spock Must Die. Mm-hmm. And it yep. did things to the continuity that were later very quickly undone because he made some <laughs> radical changes. Right. Um, but uh, but I, I read a few. I remember going or trying. My parents prevented me uh, going from going into a church, a very conservative church in Texas, carrying a copy of the novel Spock Messiah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I only read a few of those. I, I re- and I listened to a few of the records, a couple of them, I think. And I read a few of the comics. But I never really got into the spinoff media very much. Okay, how about you, Father Corey? I, I'm kind of—I haven't done a lot of the spinoff re- either. I've read some of the novels. Um, uh, I've one of my favorite games is uh, Voyager Elite Force. Oh, I remember is, that. Yeah, is actually one of the better Star Trek video games that was ever done. Right, you know, first-person shooter type game, and it was very, very well done. Yep. Um, yeah, but other than that, not a lot of the uh, the the comics. Again, read a few comics, but not a lot of them. Read a few novels, not a lot of them. So okay. I haven't done much you know, of the spinoff stuff. You know, one of my problems in getting into the spinoff material is in, and this is kind of an arbitrary thing, but in Star Trek spinoff media, none of it is considered canonical in any right. sense. Right. And that makes it harder for me to get into because it's deliberately not part of the ongoing story continuity that I'm invested in. Whereas like with Doctor Who, they've got explanations and formerly in Star Wars uh, and kind of now in Star Wars, the spinoff media is meant to be part of the same overarching story continuity that I'm already invested in. And so it's in some sense canonical and that makes it easier for me to get into it. Right. Star Wars is very different. In fact, every, if you read something in a Star Wars novel, comic book or anything like that, it is canon. So if it says this is what happens, then you, you can rest assured that it will not be contradicted hopefully that they don't tend unless, to be contradicted unless they want to wave it all yeah. away and say all that didn't happen and right you know, well all that. yes yeah. with the well that was a little different <laughs> they kind of set everything aside but with the change in ownership but they, they intend that everything is overseen by a continuity group where like you said that star star trek never had that one thing that they have done so over the past i'd say 15 years worth of star trek novels is they have an internal consistency to the novels mm-hmm. that they have an ongoing storyline. Um, so there's, there is that, which since nothing in Star Trek has taken place after the end of, I guess, DS9, the final episode. So in a internal timeline. Oh, Voyager. Voyager. Oh, right. Voyager ended after. That's right. Um, yep. And I, I, th- I mean, I think we've got Star Trek Nemesis. Like, the last of the Picard era movies might be after the last Voyager episode, but I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that sounds right. I'm, I'm trying to keep all the dates, uh, dates and times, right. But, but, but for that purpose, nothing takes place after that in any of the uh, broadcast media. Um, mm-hmm. And most of the novels do. Uh, and there does, there hasn't been any sign of them, of Paramount or CBS. We could talk about that division later. Um, intending to do anything there until recently. 
Yes. Uh, there is talk of a uh, bringing back Patrick Stewart. They've been in talks with Patrick Stewart and doing something Picard related uh, mm-hmm. in the future. And so I, I kind of want to talk about that a little bit. Um, what what we you know, what do we what do we think of the vision of um, what do we hope for in the future of Star Trek TV series and movies? Um, and pointing out, as I was going to, as I kind of alluded to, CBS owns the rights to make TV and Paramount mm-hmm. owns the right to make movie Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they don't, they haven't always agreed, which is one of the reasons why Paramount makes, has been making the, the Chris Pine reboots of, mm-hmm. of Star Trek. And mm-hmm. uh, Paramount has been kind of retreading, I mean, CBS retreading the TV series. So what do you think we should be seeing from, from them? In, in relation to the future projects, um, what would you like to see? Father, why don't you go first? Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> on the spot. Big topic. You know, I, I'll be honest with you, Discovery end and they go on to a, a, a post-Voyager yeah. series. I, I think the big – I wonder – this is something I, I was watching a, a YouTube video uh, by a guy named Laura Reloaded, and he – kind of said, you know, if Discovery had been placed after Voyager, right? a lot of the complaints about it, of course, then you wouldn't have had the whole issue with Spock's half-sister and all that, or right. stepsister or whatever. But I think a lot of the complaints about it would have been minimized. Yeah, I agree. You know, the, the problem is they, you know, and of course, there is the issue with continuity in the original series. The original series has the technology that was state-of-the-art for 1960s. The Discovery has state-of-the-art for the year 2018. Right. You know, that's very, very different. Um, and we're and just think, asked uh, to accept that, you know, suspend disbelief and just move <clears throat> on. Yeah. I don't you know. I don't have a problem with that, though. I can... I can. I don't, but some do, you know. Yeah. yeah. I, can, I can kind of just say, you know what, it's, it's how it's portrayed on the screen. We understand. Right. But some aren't willing to make that leap. So, so be it. But I think a lot – I just – I'd like to see them continue on the path going forward instead of keep going, you know, okay, we got done with Voyager, which, thanks God, it ended, and then jumped all the way back to the Enterprise, the original Warp 5 ship, et cetera, et cetera. And then, right. oh, we're going to have a new series. We're just going to go in the middle there somewhere. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. There's this, this – this, this, it's the prequel problem, which is yeah. since you know where things have to end up, there, it removes some of the dr- drama because right. you know that certain things have to go – like eventually in Star Trek, we become allies with the, with the Klingons. It has to end – like in Discovery, it has to end up with the first episode of the original series leaving yeah. the state of the universe in that in that state. Correct. Uh, and, and, and if you don't, now you really got a problem uh, with yeah. the fans. Um, so well, – the- yeah. And I, I think there's there's a place for prequels, maybe you know, movies or short series that can tell specific stories that are history. Right. For the original series. You know, I think they if they had taken that track, it might have worked better where, you know, there's stuff that they've alluded to in the series, the different series is they could go back and look at on a short basis, a mini series right. or, a, you know, a movie. But they don't. They decide they're going to make a whole, se- you know, multiple season series with prequels. Right. Yeah, I have a different perspective on that. I don't have a problem with prequels at all. I don't have a problem with long episodic prequels as long as you know what you're doing. Um, right. If you have a specific task that you're doing, I think you can build a multi-season TV series around a prequel. Um, the problem is if you don't have a plan for what you're doing and you're flailing around trying to find a new topic of the week, and then you can't bump into other things that have already been established in continuity, that's when you have a problem. Mm -hmm. Let me give you an example. Star Trek Enterprise, I didn't have any problem after Voyager ended with them saying, let's go to the other end of Federation history. I thought that was mm-hmm. totally fine. I actually thought that's what they needed to do. But the problem was the the producers didn't realize what the task was they needed to perform there. They did not need to show us 
hey, let's watch our first exploration of the galaxy with everyone going, gee whiz, what is that? Okay, we've seen right. that. That's right. been done. <laughs> what we need, what they needed to do, and they set Enterprise 10 years too early for this, they needed to show us the Romulan War and the founding of the Federation. Yes. And if they had done that, it would have been compelling. They could have they could have given us a multi-season yep. war and founding with that as the focus and all the twists and turns of how that happened. And they wouldn't have had a problem of, oh, gee, we need a villain. Can we work in the Borg somehow, but in a way or the Ferengi, but in a way that no one realizes we haven't met them yet? <laughs> well, you know, the, the stupid part about, you know, you mentioned the, the Romulan War is they actually, once they finally got their bearings, were planning on moving that direction. Yeah, and then and it that got canceled. Great. Yeah. But it got canceled they, before they could. Well, they wasted the first two seasons not knowing what they needed to do. Well, then they entered into that that really difficult time travel paradox problem. Uh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Issue. That, the temporal Cold War. Yeah. That yeah. was forced on them by the network. That's uh, why it was there. The producers didn't want that. Right. Uh, um, in, in terms of what I would like to see, though, coming down the pike. Yep. Um, no pun intended. Um, I, 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 I really am at this. I do not like the JJ Abrams reboot movies. In fact, I have not even finished the most recent one. Right. Um, I will at some point, but I haven't even finished it. Um, I think that the problem with the JJ Abrams movies is what they really want to be is Star Wars. Yeah. They don't want to be Star Trek. This is just Star Wars wrapped in a Star Trek skin. Um, what I think this series needs is not movies. Movies are always ancillary to what Star Trek is. I Where Star Trek is at its best is in TV. It's because mm -hmm. you get a chance to do longer, more complex stories and get more into character and explore things to a much greater degree than you can in a two-hour motion picture every two years. So I'm I'm all for making good movies like Wrath of Khan or Voyage Home or Undiscovered Country, but I'm not excited about movies. If one comes along and it's good, great. But but where I think this show needs to be is television, and Discovery is working for me right now. Um, in terms of what I'd like to see in the future, I still want to see the Romulan War and the founding of the Federation. Mm. That needs mm -hmm. to be explored. I, I'm less interested in going into the future because at some point the technology becomes even more magical and eats away even further limits on the plot that create drama. You know, can you right. really imagine a Star Trek set in the 30th century and what they'd have to do to the technology? The only way I could see that you'd want to do that is if you said there'd been a crash of civilization mm -hmm. and they're rebuilding. There that was, could work going there, into the future. Yeah. There, that, and that's been proposed. Yeah. Also, um, oh, there's one other thing. Um, but I'm blanking on it, so it doesn't matter. So one of the proposals that I've heard is of a Starfleet Academy uh, series that takes place at the Academy featuring yeah. midshipmen. I, I don't know. Like, that... To me, that Maybe. feels like it might be, you know, like a teen drama. Yeah, show. That's, that's kind of my thought. It's going to be more like, you know, uh, what was that River River? Yep, Riverdale, now to two and uh, <laughs> Yeah, now to there we go. That's yeah, the one Riverdale yeah. or yeah, Riverdale. Uh, yeah, yeah, that sort of stuff. So I, I don't know about that. Um, I I like the idea of I would. I mean, if I could, if I could have anything, I'd love to see uh, to find out the fate of Benjamin Cisco. You know, Dick, mm -hmm. I mean, I know mm -hmm. the the books have kind of dealt with that, and he's come back, but um, and they they haven't put those out on audio books, or I would listen to those, right? Yeah. And it's I actually I hadn't read um, a lot of the novels in ages, and then I mm -hmm. tried to find a place to jump back in and sort of <laughs> leapt into the middle of the story, but the, he apparently he gets back, uh, and it's. It, it, it's a good that was such a Welch ending, though. I mean, he yeah. should have, ex except for Avery Brooks's own personal issues, he sh would have and should have taken his place among the prophets. Right, right. Uh, yes. Um, so the, but what, what else? You know, I, I like the idea of 
I'm, I'm intrigued by the idea of this Picard series and what they could do with it. I'm, I, I'm, I'd, I'd be afraid of retreading things, um, you know, going back over the same ground. But it's intriguing. I, I like Patrick Stewart, and I have a lot of confidence in him. So uh, I'd like to see what he would do. Um, but I, yeah, I, I'm against. I'm I'm kind of against the prequel thing just because of the constraints it puts on the storytelling, um, and and the difficulties in 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 trying to do something new. Um, just like for like I like Discovery, but like a lot of fans point out, the spore drive is a problem. It's this technology mm-hmm. for traveling instantaneously that they that they suddenly have, and now nobody has it. Um, so they have to come up with an explanation for why you know, nobody, you know, why the spore drive is a bad thing. But that, that's a, I, and I don't have a problem with that because there will be a. I mean, they've already done this to some extent, but there will be a huge price um that right. you have and but that happens in all kinds of episodes where they invent some magical new technology that if it if it could be used every week it would kill the plot and so there's always a huge price that keeps you from using it every week right right, right. and this is just the same thing what i have a problem with is is um reinterpreting the klingons the way they did in yes. Enterprise, because they, I, I, I can give them the the original shift into more complex Klingon makeup, but this is not a this is not a move upwards in complexity. This is a move sideways, and I think it's ugly mm-hmm. and um, and frankly unwieldy. These people don't look like they would be super warriors to me. They look like they'd be super encumbered. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and and plus the Klingon culture was so, as we'd said before, so well developed, so deeply you know developed, and to just throw all that out and and to right. start from fresh that that's the sort of problem I have when they reboot things like that. Um, so oh, that was my other thought. Yes, I I wanted to say I wouldn't mind a reboot on television. My problem with the J.J. Abrams stuff is not that it's a reboot, because at some point it does make sense to reboot. I mean, reboots happen in all kinds of fiction, because at some point you've played out the possibilities and you want to do something similar, but you need not to be bound by continuity. Comic books reboot all the time. I have no problem with that. I would not have a problem rebooting any of the Star Trek series or the whole universe. I just want it done right. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, a good example where that worked is Battlestar Galactica. You know, yes. yeah. the the reboot has way surpassed the original series. Yes, big time. Yes. I, I think mean, most people agree. Uh, whatever you think of the ending, the 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 series itself um, was yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, was phenomenal. Uh, with uh, connections to Star Trek, uh, the Ronald D. Moore. Uh, yeah. So, I want to kind of end our conversation uh, kind of quickly because we're going a little longer than I want. But um, what is it that that you love about Star Trek. What makes you a Star Trek fan? Um, what is it about Star Trek that draws you in? You, you might have mentioned a little bit about this in you, in how you became a fan, but mm-hmm. you know, I want to kind of draw. What is it about the vision of Star Trek, um, in uh, the vision of our future that it presents that you love? Uh, and then maybe something you know, or and if you want to something about an aspect of it that you don't love as much. But uh, what is it that you love about Star Trek? Um, you know, for, I, I could I, I, would, I could start if oh, you want. <laughs> go ahead, go on this time, Dom. Uh, so, for me, it's the it's a vision of the future that it presented, especially at the time, that was hopeful. A lot of science fiction uh, was was sort of dystopian, and today a lot of science fiction has returned to being semi dystopian. This idea of the future is full of um, overarching, you know, government, Big Brother. Things get bad, you know. Uh, technology is it, it tends to run things down. And Star Trek presented a vision of the future that was bright, uh, sometimes almost literally so. The way the show was shot, um, hopeful people working together, uh, going out and exploring. Um, sure, we have to fight once in a while, and when we do, we're heroic about it. Um, we but we have principles like the Prime Directive, mm-hmm. um, but we're. We're all we're about going out, seeing what there is, and seeing new worlds, and experiencing what what has been created together. 
uh, you know, not to be, you know, kumbaya about it, but, but there's that, you know, that's one of the things I always loved about Star Trek. But what, what has continued to, to, to draw me in is the storytelling, the complex storytelling mm-hmm. about people, um, in their time, not necessarily the preachy stuff. Sometimes Star Trek can get a little preachy, uh, about, about issues of the day, but just about people that when you, when you're telling a good story about human nature, that's what draws me in. And, and, and Star Trek has had an abundance of that. So, uh, so if you guys have, uh, anything to add. I, I agree a lot with what you said, you know, for me too, it's, it's, you know, the exploration, you know, the physical ex- exploration, of course, you know, this explore strange new world, seek out new life and new civilization. You know, we know that, that phrase well. Yes. Um, and there is so much of the show about that, that, you know, of, of traveling to these amazing places, these places where humans have never been, um, these, this, the journeys, the, you know, there, there's, uh, there's much of that that really, you know, I mean, come on, how many of us would, would jump at the chance to get on the first warp one spaceship? I mean, we'd <laughs> oh, be yeah. there in a second. Yes. You know, even knowing how slow, quote unquote, warp one is compared to what we see in the series is, but there's very much that exploration. Um, I do, you know, the, the, one of my big complaints is something that next gen really got into. And that was the, the utopia, right? Where, where this moneyless, um, there are no wants, no needs, secular, secular utopia. Yeah. You know, and, and maybe that's one of the reasons why I like DS9 is it doesn't show a secular utopia. Well, so that's that's a bit of a, a Pollyanna-ish attitude about the way things really are in the universe. Yeah. Yeah. For me, um, I'd say you often hear, you know, people saying that what they like about it is the bright future, the hopeful future. And I'm kind of indifferent on that. I like both. Uh, happy future science fiction and sad future science fiction. Like Battlestar Galactica is as compelling as any of the Star Treks, you know, in to a certain extent. Um, and it's a dystopian future where things go very badly. Even individual episodes of Star Trek are cautionary tales. They're just not set on Earth. Um, but they're, they're cautionary tales about how things could go bad, like overpopulation or environmental crisis or whatever it may be. Um, so, so I, I, you know, I'm glad that there's a happy future in Star Trek, but that's not what attracts me to it. What attracts me to it is adventure. Um, seeing the cool planets and the cool races and the cool technology. It's really the adventure that I find most compelling and in terms of what initially attracted me as a kid and as an adult, it's the more complex storytelling, which leads to the uh, thing that I criticize of, about Star Trek, which is Gene Roddenberry's stupid rules where <laughs> you have this, you, it, you have to have this, you, and this really applies more to next gen and early next gen than anything else. Uh, because when they started after he passed away and they started breaking the rules more, things got better. But he had, especially in early next gen, these rules about in the 24th century, man has been perfected. So you have no conflict among the human characters. Mm-hmm. You ha- They're all squeaky clean perfect. You have no religion. <laughs> you have no money. You have no wants. And basically, you have this communist super utopia where everything is perfect. That makes absolutely no sense. Not if you want to tell a dramatic story. (laughs) Not not only then, but how do you have a – I mean, even a post-scarcity society is not going to be limitless. Into You're going to have equivalents of money. Um, And so so the Gene Roddenberry's utopian rules, I think – are the biggest flaw of the series and the more they ditch them, the better. I, I would. So, yeah, I would agree that it's the adve- adventure. I guess when I said like bright future, I don't necessarily mean like the utopian part, but that right. we get to a place where we can travel around the universe in, in, in starships and yeah. get to do these things. And people, you know, that, I mean, there's a certain amount of the, 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 the global union view, like not not like so, New World Order, like sort of, but that 
our our conflicts on this planet become less important than going together out into the galaxy and doing stuff. Yeah, uh, and that we don't that, have we don't have world wars on Earth anymore. Right, that's an accomplishment. Yep. Yeah, and, and that and that getting out to and having those space adventures. I I agree with that. That the, it's the adventure aspect uh, that really drives drives my interest, and in, I think a lot of fans. So that's that's our introduction to this reboot of of uh Secrets of Star Trek um and hopefully uh you want to join us on this journey I'm hoping hey, maybe it'll be a 5 year journey uh, uh with us uh through this uh, certainly if we decide to go episode by episode of every uh series it's going to be a lot more than 5 years <laughs> but uh so why don't you let us know uh you know tell us well, how did you become a, a Star Trek fan? What does Star Trek mean to you? What's your favorite series? Who's your favorite captain? What's your favorite ship? Anything like that. Um, it, you know, and uh, let us know by sending us uh, an email to trek at sqpn.com or by visiting sqpn.com or the SQPN Facebook page and leave us comments there as well. Uh, I would ask you, please, if you enjoy this uh, podcast, please share it with your friends. Share it on on social media. You know, it's the age of the geek. You don't have to be ashamed anymore, like I was as a kid, to share that you're a Star Trek fan. <laughs> everyone, everyone, every cool kid wants to be a Star Trek fan now. You know it. So please share this with others. Give them the link to our website. Uh, our website does have instructions on how to subscribe to a podcast. If you're not familiar with how to do that, you can get it on your phone. You can get it on your watch. You can get it everywhere now. So, uh, but please share the 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 secrets of star trek with people the link to the shows and um leave us some feedback if you go to itunes and leave us a review and a feedback there that'll help promote the show as well get more listeners and help us grow and reach more people and we assure you the show will become all, all the better the more people that listen to it it's 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 scientifically proven so uh, <laughs> we do appreciate that uh you can find links to all of our personal uh social media and websites on our show notes on sqpn.com and we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing our overview and thoughts of the original series star trek the original series until then jimmy aiken thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of star trek live long and prosper dom uh, father Corey stika thank you as well <laughs> thanks Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Jimmy ah, threw me off. <laughs> yeah, you, you got to come up with a quick catchphrase. Now I, I can't. And once again, I'm Don Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek. <laughs>